Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Casey. This is Too Much Film School. This week we're going to be talking about the 84th Annual Academy Awards. This year there's nine nominees for Best Picture, which is a lovely uh, square number. The new system that they have is a little weird. It's, you have to get, a, I think, 5% of the vote in order to qualify as a Best Picture nominee. And some of these, I'm just... Well, uh, first let's run down the list. There's The Artist, The Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, Moneyball, The Tree of Life, and War Horse. You left out The Help, but yes. The and help. The Help. Uh, for, right off the bat, I'm surprised Warhorse is nominated. Like, did I, anybody uh, see that? I did not because I thought <laughs> it looked sappy and saccharine and Steven Spielberg-y. Well, I love Battle Horse. Sp- <laughs> I love Steven Spielberg. I love, generally speaking, I love Spielberg movies when uh, two of them come out in the same year, like Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, right. or uh, War of the Worlds and Munich. Um, did but you like Tintin? I did not like either Tintin or okay. Warhorse. They were both. Uh, like, it's just Warhorse is sort of. Like you said, it's the most obvious sort of Spielbergian Spielberg uh, stuff. Well, he's not a Jewish horse. He's well, <laughs> fighting Nazis in a plane. So that, he t- toned down the Spielbergness. A little bit. But the the way it looks and the, the sort of obviousness of everything, it's not even... Uh, like, he's not even trying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just seemed heavy-handed. I did not see it because I didn't think I'd enjoy it. Um, and Tintin was... Uh, bland. I mean, uh, my wife loved it because she grew up with those comics, but it's not, uh, it's not worth it. Man, I'm, I'm waiting for Lincoln to come out in a couple of years. Okay. Uh, that's how far in advance I am. Uh, but otherwise, the other ones are sort of, uh, I think the, these nominees represent what we usually think of as Oscar. Yeah, especially things like The Artist or Midnight in Paris. Tree of Life was a little surprising because even, I think, amongst the film community, people found it a bit arty and the non-linear narrative and just uh Terrence it, Malick is very heavy-handed. <laughs> I dislike him for other reasons. Uh, well, <laughs> for his films, The Thin Red Line was just god-awful, in my opinion. And so, just hit you in the face with its artistic, the metaphors and the imagery. And I'm like, yes, I get it. People are birds and they're not evil. And then war comes about. Yeah, thank you for... Beating me to death with this point for three hours. I, he, his movies feel a little like uh, The Emperor's New Clothes. That like I don't understand it, so it must be good. Like even like Brad Pitt himself is like I don't know what Tree, Tree of Life is about. Yeah, how can that be a good movie if we don't understand it? And I'm not uh, of the mind that things have to make sense. I like David Lynch movies because they're just artistic, you know, representations, and you can draw different storylines and threads out of them and feelings they evoke you know certain things but they don't have to make a linear literal sense narrative you get the sense that david lynch at least david lynch thinks that it means something right and you i don't feel that about terrence Mann. yeah it does feel like abstract painting where he's just throwing colors on a wall and saying like oh this maybe will evoke something for the viewer but he doesn't have a picture in mind when he's making it i heard an interview with uh, Tim Blake Nelson, who's an actor, but he also uh, directed The Gray Zone um, about a concentration gap. And during the Q&A for it, he was talking about how he kind of learned directing and uh, watched other directors that he worked with, Spielberg, one of them on Minority Report. And he worked with Terrence Malick on The Thin Red Line, but his scene was ultimately cut. And he said that literally they were just in the jungles of New Guinea or um, Fiji on islands, kind of, and... Terrence Malick would be sitting there and, and they'd be shooting and he'd be like, did anyone see those birds that just flew over? <laughs> like, those were, let's go find those. And from what I could tell, Tim Lake Nelson was acting in the middle of when he said this. And he, they pick up the camera and they all go find these birds and just wander around the jungle <laughs> shooting birds. So that because, uh, like I said, the heavy handed metaphor in the movie was for birds. But so far as I can tell, maybe they made that up afterwards because he just found birds that he liked. <laughs> and it just, from the story, Tim Blake Nelson was talking about how different it is in Spielberg where everything's storyboarded and planned out. And he, oh, but Terrence Malick is kind of just creating out there. And I'm like, that sounds like the worst thing <laughs> ever. He just has ADD or some form of autism and people are following him around going, he's brilliant. Yeah. No, he may be handicapped. Like, <laughs> <clears throat> Something definitely seems off there, and Tree of Life, I think the visuals, uh, you know, kind of have a stunning look, and... 
Oh yeah, the all of the scenes are beautiful, but like you know, that credit goes to the cinematographer. Right, to it, that reminded me of um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, where I saw trailers for it and I went, "This looks amazing," the, you know, and just the visual texture on it, kind of the patina, the tilt focus they use, and even a lot of the other elements that aren't just visual, like the voiceovers and things, the there's just such a quality, like a textural quality to that film that it was amazing. And yet the story just drug on forever. <laughs> and by the end, I was like, please just assassinate him, <laughs> coward Robert Ford. I would have killed him several times over by now just to end this movie. And I think they really just drew it out to the point where people didn't like it. And it didn't get a lot of awards and things because they dragged it on so long. And it just had so many... So this, you know, either reminded me of that, but without even a linear narrative, or um, there was a. Movie See, I think called... the, I think the difference is is that uh, the assassination of Jesse James, there is a story, and we can address that and and decide that he did a poor job of pacing the story. Right. Tree of Life doesn't even have that. It's so abstract and so random that there's there's almost no critique for it because it's just a, it's images on a screen. Right, and that was mainly equating the visual style but the uh in terms of storyline i think um the fountain yeah. was again like disjointed it was following three different timelines that aren't related they follow similar beats but you're not sure if they're reincarnations they're telling the same story over again and yet i thought that was very well done and kept me, me engaged the whole time and didn't have, like, a linear way that all these people connect with each other. They're the same. It's Hugh Jackman. No, I know. I, that movie, the, my main problem with it is I kept being distracted by the fact that uh, Darren Aronofsky, the director, was married to Rachel Weisz at the time. And he's like, hey, you want to make out with Hugh Jackman? Like, that's okay. weird to me every time someone does that to me. I did not have that. I understand she's an actress and she's pretending. Right. But still, <laughs> it's weird. It was sad making out because she's dying, but... Oh, um, so. Then the old, the other movie that I feel Tree of Life could have been if it were better was a um, 2003 movie called It's All About Love by Thomas Finterberg, who's uh, from the Dogma 95 uh, school. Well, if you yeah. don't know what Dogma 95 is, it's uh, uh, student films released in the theater. That's all. But <laughs> it's shot on videotape, no lighting, non-professional actors, shaky and cameras, terribleness. But it's on purpose to <laughs> engage you and say, you know what? Films don't have to be pretty. They don't have to have linearity. They... We're trying to capture a moment, and if the the best kind of acting or you know feeling comes out when the camera happened to be shaking, then we're going with that. It's kind of a it's supposed to be raw honesty. They usually it engages really hard to watch subject matter too, <laughs> uh, like I don't know, uh, hand, mentally handicapped people having rough sex. Or something. <laughs> I, I, that is one of the, uh, not Venturebrook's movies, Large Ventrier. Uh, yeah, Large Ventrier fits in that category too. So, but it's all about love. It's all about love was actually a very mild for that style <laughs> uh, because it is a shot kind of in the cla more classic invisible Hollywood style and uh, stars Joaquin Phoenix, Claire Danes, uh, and the storyline is a bit disjointed in that I think it's people are just dying. They fall down in the street and their heart has stopped and they just say, oh, the lack of love, kind of. And <laughs> so this happens in the streets. Just people will step over them instead. And there's other weird Because nobody things. loves them. <laughs> right. There's other weird things going on, like in a, a, a village... In a village in Africa, the people have randomly lost their gravity, so they just float like <laughs> they'll float up into the sky, and so there's just news reports on in the background of these people. So they've all taken to tethering themselves as they go about in case it happens to them randomly. And I want to say Claire Danes is a Romanian figure skater who's kind of controlled by the mob, like Russian mafia or something. She's in New York, and Joaquin Phoenix is her ex-husband. He comes to visit her. She's afraid that they might do something to her, and it's all very tense but they don't really articulate a lot of these things and then by the end of the movie we find out that she's actually a clone of the figure skater <laughs> and they are going to kill her because she's no longer as easy to comply with or something like that and replace her with one of the other clones that they have of her it's all kind of strange and yet the sense oh sean penn is also uh, joaquin phoenix's brother who keeps calling him throughout the movie and he was afraid of flying this is all in the future, by the way. But, like, 
2023 or something, you know, where there's not a lot of flying cars or different stuff. It's just they have clones, apparently. Uh, and so uh, Sean Maybe Penn... by the time they listen to this podcast, we'll have clones. Exactly. <laughs> so these people will be like, they, they didn't have clones back then? Uh, Sean Penn was afraid of flying, so he got a shot that they can give you that's like gene therapy to make you no longer afraid of flying, but they gave him too much to where now he only feels happy or comfortable when he's flying. So he's calling him constantly throughout the movie from planes, and uh, including, like, he's running out of money flying all these planes, so it, each one is worse and worse until he's on, like, a cargo plane from the military or something that they let him hitch on. But he's just... Uh, essentially, it feels like all these things are just unraveling, and the world is pretty much ending in a weird way, but just through loss of hope and spirit and love and these things. So... It's interesting, and yet feels like it goes somewhere. <laughs> and so, Tree of Life does not. Right. It could have been that movie, which was quirky and interesting enough, but it just wasn't. There so, were other movies. <laughs> the Descendants is nominated because the largest voting block in the Academy is actors, and actors love this kind of movie. Right. It's just actors acting, and there's nothing interesting or appealing about it. It's a yeah. boring... George, George Clooney going through some... Some life changes and yeah. being charming, but under duress, and, you know. <laughs> so I have a hard time believing George Clooney is a guy who would ever be married and have kids. Like that, that is hard to bring his divorce the character from his off-screen persona. Yeah, it's. It, but the, that there's certain movies that just sort of appear because, you know, twenty five percent or twenty percent of the of the voting uh, part of the voting academy is actors, and they just love acting movies. Uh, and it's you know similarly uh, Woody Allen gets nominated Midnight in Paris Woody Allen just gets nominated just because because he's Woody Allen <laughs> and uh, the the help um, it gets the 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 mom slots the movie right. that my mom likes this year and the older people in the Academy the Blind Side recently same thing um, or or every once in a while it's the dad slot with like True Grit yeah <laughs> which I love True Grit by the way like I was sort of disappointed it didn't win last year right. Uh, maybe Moneyball's got the dad slot this year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Moneyball was uh, was I I sort of enjoyed it whenever they were focusing on the baseball and like the money and statistics and stuff. But every time they cut to uh, Brad Pitt with his daughter, I was like, this doesn't have anything to do with the movie, <laughs> with money or ball. <laughs> and then everybody I talked to afterwards, they were like, "What was your favorite part?" Uh, you know, the, his relationship with the daughter, and I'm like. That's not what the movie is about. <laughs> you really cannot stand like the girl with the dragon tattoo raping. <laughs> what? You said it had nothing to do with the story. Oh, if yes. If they I'm... took it out, it wouldn't change. Yes. Anything you could remove and then the story is the same, which is pretty much the entirety of Tree of Life. <laughs> yeah. Any, any one element could be removed and wouldn't be noticed. I think, actually, that's not a hard and fast rule. You realize that, right? That's your opinion and a certain... Absolutely hard and fast rule. ...class of filmmaking. And yet, <laughs> utilitarianism is not the the only way to go. Isn't this? In your, <laughs> uh, your I'm, overlord I'm... jackboots stomping up. <laughs> this is excessive. <laughs> Remove it. Um, yeah, I, I really loved uh, Goebbels' movies. <laughs> <laughs> um... So that was, that's going to be taken out of context later. I was really surprised that Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close uh, squeaked in. Because first of all, I don't know how people managed to fill that in on their form. Because um, nobody remembers the which adjective goes which okay. sound. But, uh, like, again, I don't know if anybody saw it. Uh, I, I hardly know anybody who, who knows anything about it. It wasn't advertised very well. I mean, the only thing I can think is that, you know, Tom Hanks is in it. And so you have to nominate it for Best well, Picture. I am in the camp of, I didn't see it, I had tickets to a screening, and I did know what it's about. It's about a kid, you know, heart-wrenching but touching, you know, emotional journey and affirmation of life and all that uh, loveliness that comes from 9-11 <laughs> moving on things. But it's about, you know, Tom Hanks' son finding this key and going on this journey to, after his dad, Tom Hanks, died in the 9-11. Uh, right. And I was not in the mood that day. I was driving around. I'm like, I don't know that I want to go through like a catharsis kind of, even if I know it's going to end on an up note and be life affirming and we'll have, you know, you'll cry for parts of it, but then you'll have tears of joy by the end. Uh, 
I didn't feel like going on that journey <laughs> that day. I was like, I'm definitely not in the mood right now. So I skipped it, and I have not felt in the mood like it uh, <laughs> since then either. I think that's valid. It's weird uh, because Hugo also has a similar uh, key MacGuffin uh, where the kid is trying to find a key yeah. for his little robot that has a key slot because all robots have a heart-shaped right. key slot. Uh, and uh, then just an odd thing about, I guess people like children looking for keys this year. I'm also, I'm a little surprised also, uh, Hugo again with the similarities, Hugo and the artist are both sort of that movie about movies and like how great movie the cinematic experience is. And of course, everybody who's voting at for the Academy Awards is works in this business. Right. There's a lot of self-love going on. Right. Back padding. I'm surprised we needed both of those movies in yeah. there. Visual styles are very different because the artist, as we discussed in the artist episode, is uh, black and white and shot like a silent film and stuff like that. And Hugo is the height of technology. It's 3D and it's right. super colorful and lots of CGI. Um, they're both, honestly, on that list, they're both, uh, I think they're my favorites uh, from the list. Uh, I certainly uh, enjoyed them both and would see them again. But it is solipsistic on the part of the voters to uh, throw both of those movies <laughs> into their list of the best movies this year. Yeah, this year I can't pick one that I like best. Um, I would probably go with the artist because I'm so obsessed. <laughs> uh, and consider myself, a, yeah, having gone to film school, like right. in the know and well, someone who could appreciate it. But it does seem like a niche market. It, if this wins, people in the you know middle America or anywhere watching at home are going to go, huh? Yeah, I didn't see that. That was not even playing in my town. Hurt Locker set the record for the lowest grossing film to win Best Picture, and I, I, I also believe the artist will win, and I think it will set a new low, low bar. which is sort of sad. Because, honestly, both of those movies are good. Like, the general audience would enjoy them. They're yeah, just I presented think in a they also went, like, the Hurt Locker went on to a slightly larger release or a longer run afterwards, and definitely in DVD and rentals and everything purchases, it hit a boon with people that hadn't heard of it or weren't going to see it before because of the win. And the artist, I think, will do the same thing. Right. So I am hopeful that it'll win, but this just feels different from other years where I have two or three movies that I'm like, oh, it could come to any of these, you know, There what Will Be Blood or was... No Country for Old Men, you know. Yeah. There's usually a couple that I'm like, I really liked both of those, I'm going to give it to this one. This year, again, it's just like the help was okay for a, you know, traditional Hollywood movie to please the mom sets or make us all feel better about racism. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, but the artist is the only one that I think deserves it. Yeah. Um, moving on to Best Director, uh, again, this is sort of a weird category because people often associate the director very closely with the Best Picture, even though the Best Picture Award goes to the producer. Um, people are... Uh, and it, it, What makes it odd now is that it's not the same number of people. So uh, everyone who, you know, Spielberg has a Best Picture nomination, but not a Best Director nomination. It doesn't really have much of a chance. Right. And I wouldn't, I would have had more of a problem if he was there <laughs> for Best Director than just Warhorse. Well, what did Steven Spielberg do to you that you I just saying, so much? This movie. This uh, movie is pretty bland and generic, but. Right. Uh, Other years, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Okay. I'm down with it for him for Best Director, so. Uh, but again, looking at this list, these are all, like, it's Woody Allen and Martin Scorsese, Hugo and Midnight in Paris are neither of their best movies. Right. Uh, but the, because it's them, you have to put them on there. Like, right. it's, as much as you hate auteurs, the list of Best Director feels like... Yeah, Terrence Malick, Alexander Payne. The only one I, I... I mean, I would honestly like to see Michael... I have no idea how to pronounce this. Hazanavicious, uh, who directed The Artist. Uh, because the film is so sort of singular. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate the amount of work that must have gone into it. Yeah, I agree that The Artist definitely felt like the one that had the most hands-on direction. I, I might be feeling that because of the size and because the the story and everything is so much what the movie is about as opposed to other ones where the descendants it's about the acting and it's like right. yeah good job you put a camera there and then george <laughs> clooney acted in front of it <laughs> so way to go alexander paint no i uh, think he does do good work in quirkiness it's just that this was he was overshadowed in this one so the artist also felt 
small enough that you could imagine the director controlling every aspect and it would fall more towards auteur theory as much as you hate it. Whereas Hugo, for the 3D effects and everything, I don't see Martin Scorsese at a computer drawing the robot flying around and, you know. Right. It, so it feels like there's a lot more people that you would have to thank than just being like, oh, the director really made this movie. Right. So I also feel like Michael has a ficus. <laughs> Michael has a ficus. Should be. <laughs> Yeah, and he did win the DGA award this year, which uh, often leads, you know, because most of the people in the DGA are also voters in the Academy. To clarify how this works, the nomination process, if you are eligible for that category, you can nominate for that category. But then the the whole voting uh, Academy gets to vote on pretty much all of the categories, except for certain specific ones like documentary and blah, blah, blah. The ones you don't care about. Right. Uh, but everybody votes on Best Director, but still they... DGA awards are sort of, the Director's Guild awards are sort of a indicator of, of who the directors value, and so people tend to follow that. Okay. Um, so he's likely to win. Moving on to Best Actor, because this, this sort of uh, uh, leads into the SAG Awards, which also happened recently. The Best Actor nominees uh, are Dimian Bashir for A Better Life, which no one saw. Uh, George Clooney for The Descendants, again, actors. Uh John D- Duhardin, the lead actor from this all last week, and it's I still can't get it. The lead actor from the artist, the titular character, if you will, uh, Gary Oldman from Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, and Brad Pitt from Moneyball. Uh, the The SAG Award went to John Duhardin, uh, but the SAG Award for Best Cast went to The Help, and right. that's sort of their equivalent to Best Picture. So that's sort of a weird. Split because, like I said, a lot of actors, a lot of SAG actors are in the academy, so it feels like a, a neck and neck race to me between the artist and the help at this for point for best picture. For best picture, okay. Be- because the SAG awards sort of split their two key awards, their their lead award and their cast award, they sort of split it up. Right. So uh, that's sort of a weird thing, but it does seem like John Dijardin is. Uh, almost a lock to win if he won the SAG Award for Best Actor. Yeah, I think Damien Bashir, uh, no, I didn't see A Better Life. I've heard about it and know it's the director from About a Boy and American Pie. I liked About a Boy. <laughs> uh, doing It's about an immigrant who's trying to provide a better life for his son. He's saving up. And so that sounds like some meaty acting chops you could get into. Um, George Clooney is just charming and everyone loves to fall in love with him. Yeah, so. George Clooney is always George Clooney, and I don't mind that, uh, but I don't uh, don't need to give him an Academy Award for it. Yeah, uh, Jean Dujardin, I would like to win for this. Gary Oldman, I really like in everything he's in, even terrible movies with Gary <laughs> Oldman. He's the best part. But in Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, uh, uh, I don't know, it's too long of a title, he's amazing in it. Like, you've never seen someone so still, and let, yet you completely know what he's going through at every moment. Even when the story makes no damn sense because it's spies doing spy stuff and they don't explain anything. It's all very British. Like, it's a hard story to follow, but you know what is going on in Gary Oldman's head. And it, he is an amazing performance. As much as as much fun as Jean Ducardin is in The Artist, I wish Gary Oldman will win and he's not going to. Yeah, I, like I said, really like Gary Oldman. I liked Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. I think Gary Oldman, again, was probably the best part of it. I didn't have as much trouble with the storyline following it as you did, except for the one shot of John Hurt pushing, like, pie off. There's, like, a <laughs> half a second shot of him dying. I was like, was that, was that John Hurt? <laughs> so fast. It's not like I'm having confused following the storyline. That was so fast, you could not read who it was. <laughs> it's also a wide shot, and he, like, pushes the plate over. In the theater, as I'm, I'm assuming you saw it on the screen, in the, the, in the big screen, it was very clear that it was him. Oh, I yeah. saw it at home. So, they, uh, they, it was meant for the theatrical they, experience. Exactly. So, um, Gary Oldman was very good in it. He was this, you know, form of stillness. But I think the movie as a whole didn't have a lot of suspense. It had intrigue. You were interested in it. But didn't feel the weight of, like, we have to find this mole because people's lives are on the line the way with, like, The Departed, where Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio were on the, the phone after Martin Sheen's died, and uh, there's just so much palpable, like, tension in there. You're like, oh, if he talks, he could be dead. Like, he'll know. Ooh, don't. Like, this had some points of intrigue, and there was definitely a sense of 
medium tension throughout, but there wasn't kind of the palpable suspense. Wow, I can't believe for once you're on the like side of uh, let's be more obvious and hit people over the head with stuff. Was, I thought I'm shocked that Tinker Taylor was not nominated for Best Picture. If it was, if that was the number ten slot, I'd be campaigning for that to be Best Picture of the Year. It was again in, intriguing, but <laughs> not really suspenseful. And I do like that it's kind of especially for British people a staid kind of like <laughs> tone of like yes, he may be a spy. Quite. Quite. <laughs> so it, it kind of tongue-in-cheek, I found it interesting in that way, but still uh, no adrenaline pumping ever. Even the parts where people are getting shot, I'm like, that was kind of understated. Uh, and that British. feels like it's part of the point is that it's not, you know, James Bond leaping around there, definitely demythologizing that. But even at the for the end, it's not like Gary Oldman cracks the code that is like, ha-ha, he's got it, he's brilliant, it's... Well, it could be any of these people. And the other part was, you couldn't play along at home. There were no clues that you're like, ah, oh, it's the Kaiser Soze had a gold watch and they're returning it to him at the end. I know three seconds before you do. It's kind of like, you're laying you a trap. You didn't figure out that it was Mr. Darcy? It Possibly. He was one of the two I think I got it down to. The thing that threw me off with that movie, and I don't know if this is for another podcast, was that there was, like, the five suspects. Yeah. And, like, the movie sort of divided up into chunks of, like, there's the first suspect and the second suspect. They got to Mr. Darcy, and then I was like, oh, so it's got to be Julius Caesar from Rome. Uh, but then it turned out, they're like, nope, we're not going to do it anymore. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I thought you were going to do one suspect at a time and, and finish, like, the fifth suspect would be the guy. But no, they stopped at the fourth suspect. And I was like, <laughs> they got you. Yeah, they did. Uh, but anyways, the, well, maybe no, that's for I, another podcast. I but. felt like, again, you couldn't play along at home and go like, oh, this and that, and it points to him. I thought that the only clever thing they did was have him bang uh, Gary Oldman's wife, because I'm like, well, it's not him, because then he would be like, hey, I'm pissing this guy off. Plus, he was clearly in a relationship with Mark Strong. I'm like, I guess it's less likely to him. It could be that they're trying to throw us off, but I didn't think the character was that smart to be like, you know what would make them think I'm not the mole? If I bang his wife, because then he'll be thinking that, oh, that guy is such a bastard, but if he were an undercover agent, he wouldn't be out banging my wife to get me angry at him. That's exactly what he wanted you to think. Exactly. But uh, it still felt like at the end, they, he, Gary Oldman didn't know. It's not like he went in and said, this is a clue and I accuse you in the pipe, <laughs> in the wrench, let's open it up. He went, let's shake the bushes and then see who shows up at this house. But well, that's how they would actually do it. Yes, it felt more like police work than spycraft. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, all right, you did some... You this did... is a good thing. I realized it's a good thing. It's realistic. It's, like I said, intriguing or interesting, but it's not suspenseful like I... I was... Uh, the I wanted Sherlock Holmes to use his amazing intellect <laughs> and go, oh, the chalk dust on your shirt there clearly implies, and piece together these things that aren't just... No, there's a procedure for that. Here's what you do. <laughs> it produces the bag down. Dustly. And then, by the way, the end... This is turned into a Tinker Teller podcast. The end, he's standing outside in the open. There are children running by the gate, that he, the fence that he's behind. And I'm like, really? This Russian spy? And you're like, yeah, let's have him come out here. He can sun on the patio. And then Mark Strong comes and shoots him. And I'm like, no crap. You have him out in the middle of... I think they wanted him to be shot. I think that was on purpose. I think they were trading him for some high-level British people or something that is implied throughout the movie that they make trades. And so uh, if they had wanted him shot, they, I think, could have gone about it in a more direct route than saying, you know, his sperm... Oh, because everything his, else in the movie was very direct. gay lover <laughs> might come back with a sniper rifle. I, I think they take the indirect direct route for everything. Yeah. So I, it, it made sense to me. It just seemed like something. Uh, and also Brad Pitt was nominated. So, in Best <laughs> <laughs> I like, I seriously do like Brad Pitt, but like George Clooney, he sort of plays Brad Pitt, and I'm fine with that. I yeah. like it when he, and he was, he was well used in Moneyball, unlike George Clooney. So, uh, you he, know, good job, but I... I don't think he should win. Yeah, yeah no. He, and again, can I would be used really well. I Fight Club, Seven, yeah. I, I refer to even uh, Outlaw Jesse James. He was great in that, just for this kind of like slow character feel that he brought to it or even Benjamin Button but I don't know that it's like the 
Benjamin Button was such a bad movie, I can't judge the acting. Like, it, I'm too did, distracted by how terrible it was. He did well enough. He looked really good in 60s clothes and stuff, so... <laughs> true. I think that's what he does really well. So. Yeah. Uh, now, the Best Actress category, I really love, because most years there's, like, one or two, you know, good movies, and then, like, they sort of have to fill it out with movies you've never heard of, because Hollywood doesn't write enough, like, lead female parts. Right. And it's always sort of a shitty category. There's like one or two of them that you, that you're like, oh, she's totally going to win. This year, finally, like none of these are necessarily hits, but most of these aren't just the lead actress. They are, not, but number two to a man. Like these right. are like, they are the main character. There's Glenn Close in Albert Knobs playing Albert Knobs. Uh, Viola Davis in The Help playing The Help. Rudy Mara is the girl with the dragon tattoo. Meryl Streep is the Iron Lady. Michelle Williams is is my week with Marilyn Monroe. She's Marilyn Monroe. Like they're all the most important part of the film, right? And they're all really good. Like this is like unlike Best Actor, where I'm like, eh, you know, John Dujardin, I still can't do it. Uh, is totally gonna win. Uh, any one of these seem like a great choice. All of them seem uh, amazing. I think Viola Davis is gonna win because she won the SAG award. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's like the the people will vote for the artist for best picture, and then to as a concession uh, concession to the help they'll give it to Viola Davis. I, I would be fine with that because uh, looking at the other actresses, I do think it is a good spread and very powerful. Uh, we I think Glenn Close and Meryl Streep Albert don't Knox. need another. Yeah, <laughs> and I Oscar. mean we talked about the formula that goes into uh, Best Actor for oh if you do makeup and age yourself and an accent, so Glenn Close has a lot of those. So I would like to see her not get to debunk <laughs> that kind of formula the way, same way. I was glad to see Leonardo DiCaprio not nominated for right. Jay Edgar because it just seemed like Oscar baiting, and I'm like, take that. <laughs> You're, you, exercise was pointless um rooney mara i don't think she brought a lot of new stuff to the girl with the dragon tattoo character it's sort of tough that she had to be compared to newbie rapace but i think she did a great job and uh, as much as i had problems with the character her performance was not one of them right and we talked about in that podcast how they kind of softened or rounded out the you know the character of Lisbeth salander so maybe she had a hand in bringing that to life and that is notable but uh, still maybe not as standout-ish as some of the other ones. Meryl Streep, uh, I don't like M Margaret Thatcher, so I'm not going to see The Iron Lady. Um, and I really am interested in the movie. I, but it's a hit piece on, on, on Margaret Thatcher. Like, it's liberal Hollywood hating on Margaret all right, Thatcher. But so I, you should like it. I should. I got to admit, uh, so Meryl Streep can be good in stuff, and I've liked her in things, but I think I have not liked her in as much, you know. Lions for Lambs, or she does a lot of comedies and things that, right. where she's sleeping with Alec Baldwin. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, not that I'm her performance in this might be wholly different from that, but I'm There's not gonna say it. There is that. She's got the accent. Uh -oh. uh, and Michelle Williams, uh, uh, she's still the slut from Dawson's Creek to me. <laughs> like, I, I can never watched Dawson's Creek, so really? I Michelle Williams I do like though from things uh, Brokeback Mountain. She uh, can act, is what I'm getting at. Right. Just saying, oh, she was from Dawson's Creek. I, think I know. It's, it's not fair, her but uh, life isn't fair, so get over okay. Michelle Williams. Now I'm voting for Michelle Williams, <laughs> just to spite you. Yes. Now, going into Best Supporting Actor, here's where I get upset at the Academy. Uh, why are there four acting categories? Right. Uh, first of all, splitting it by gender, I don't understand why that's a thing. Like, there's no best female director category. Like, that mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. Not a lot of female directors. That's a problem! <laughs> exactly, so... I, I don't understand the need to split it up. And then, uh, a few years ago, people were campaigning to add a best stunts category for, like, the stunt coordinator or, or the lead stuntman or something. Right. Uh, because these are people who... Unlike basically everyone else, they are literally risking their lives in oh, order yeah. to make these movies. I'm amazed how many die without like a lot of fanfare or notes or anything. The first time I, I realized it, there was a Steven Seagal movie like with DMX in it or something. I remember a stunt guy died when they were trying to jump from one car to another and he went under the camera truck or something. I was like, that's terrible. No Steven Seagal movie ever is worth someone's life. Like, <laughs> not like other movies aren't either, but if you were filming Apocalypse Now and there's explosions and things going off and you're like, ah, oh, wow, you try for this huge epic with war and you're trying to tell this story, like, I could see how that happened, but 
Steven Seagal on DMX. <laughs> Don't even... I would be the stunning. I'd be like, not for this movie. So, <laughs> not jumping out there. And the, the Academy said that, like, the official spokesman was like, yeah, we're not going to make that category because we already have too many categories. And I'm like, let's cut one of the acting categories and throw in the people that are risking their lives yeah. to do this. Take best supporting actor and use that term to describe male or female. Yeah, best supporting performance. There you go. Uh, and I would also, uh, while we're on the subject of, like, categories that they're missing, uh, why... Is there not some sort of category for animation acting? Like, the a combination award for the voice person and the lead animator should get, just in the same way that art, best art direction goes to the production designer and the art director together, uh, the, the person, because there's a lead animator for each character, that's right. just a thing that they do in animation, and then the voice. Put them together, that's the best animated character. Because Andy Serkis, like, clearly should have an Academy Award by now. Okay. Uh, between Gollum and his performance in the uh, uh, planet, the rise of the Planet of the Apes, like, I don't know what he's doing, because clearly he's doing something right, because you watch Avatar, which is the same sort of motion capture shit, and they're terrible. They're all right. terrible actors, everyone up and down. I like Sigourney Weaver, still not good in that movie. Right. Andy Serkis is amazing, and some, he can only do it when he's in motion capture, because he's also was live action in, in King Kong, and was... Not good. <laughs> okay. Uh, he should have an Academy Award by now. They need to invent a category just so he can get an award. <laughs> it's it's upsetting that he's all of these people. Uh, he should he should he definitely fits in. Uh, Jonah Hill is being nominated for best supporting actor, right. and and Andy Serkis is not. And I think there's something wrong with that. They need to either have a new category. Or they need to start thinking about uh, performance capture and animation acting as as a as a legitimate form of acting. I can see this being a concern right now. Very <laughs> small footnote below stuntmen, so when one frees up, you know, maybe. But, yeah, in the next ten years, I'm sure this will come much more to the Probably forefront. Right. Yeah. forefront. But uh, while we're on Best Supporting Actor, uh, Kenneth Branagh, again, for my week with Marilyn, uh, being as Laurence Olivier as you can be. Uh, <laughs> and Kenneth Branagh is just so big and, like, Look at me! I'm Kenneth Branagh. I yeah. got a British accent, and I do Shakespeare. Who else has done that? Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> Let's plug him in here. <laughs> That's sort of weird. Jonah Hill. Honestly, it's a funny performance in Moneyball, and funny performances aren't uh, like there's nobody from there. There's one actress from Bridesmaids is nominated. Uh, and Melissa McCarthy, and and like there's so many other like there's so many funny roles this year, and none of them are nominated other than Jonah Hill and Melissa McCarthy. I'm glad he was nominated. Right. Uh, but uh, I don't know that it really blew me yeah, away either. Yeah, shouldn't win. Uh, Nick Nolte is crazy. I did not realize that he was nominated for Warrior. Uh, isn't that the... The mixed martial arts about yeah. people? I How did that wind up in here? I did not see it, and I don't know what Nick Nolte does in it. I'm going to equate it to thinking it's probably the same as The Fighter. And Nick Nolte is uh, maybe a coach or someone that's <laughs> like family member like Christian Bale in The Fighter. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure he just does crazy stuff, and he's right. But, and and maybe they're playing to his drugged out, crazy nature. You know, similar with Mickey Rourke and the wrestler, and they're like, "Just be you." And uh, but there's fighters, they're warriors. Well, here's the thing about Nick Nolte. I, I actually met him early on in my like post college career. I had to very early in my career while I was working on a different movie called The Peaceful Warrior. I had to drive Nick Nolte from his home to uh, the recording studio, like, all the way on the other side of town. And uh, the whole time, I'm nervous that he's going to just, like, flip out and go crazy because everybody has these stories about Nick Nolte, you know, hookers and blow and stuff. And uh, I'm just going to have to, I, like, I was just practicing saying, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Nolte, I don't know where to find a hooker and an eight ball at this time in the morning. And uh, on the way to Culver City, which is the most confusing place in Los Angeles, I get lost and I end up driving in circles and we're, like, a half hour late. And I'm, I'm terrified he's going to start, like, screaming at me and stuff. And he's like, here, hand me the map. And I'm like, fuck. And I hand him the map, and he just gives me some directions, and we pull turn in. Turn by turn. Yeah. And, and as we pull in, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I, I don't know what happened. I'm still sort of new to town, even though I've lived here for, like, five years. I'm just retarded. We get there, and I'm apologizing. And he goes, don't worry about it. Everybody gets lost sometimes. And that's it. That's all that he did. I thought I was going to have this story where, like, Nick Nolte kicked me in the head and then peed on me or something. Yeah. And, and nothing. He's he's a perfectly nice guy. Oh, damn 
ham ham. And so he doesn't actually, he may have been crazy in his youth. Uh, he's actually a perfectly nice guy. <laughs> Early on, I always thought Gary Busey was like a poor man's crazy version of Nick Nolte. And then there was a time where they were neck and neck. And <laughs> Gary Busey has pulled back and believed in their old oh, age. Oh, yeah, he's so. far ahead. But, uh, yeah. moving on. Uh, Christopher Plummer and Max von Sydow. I honestly couldn't tell you the difference between those two actors. <laughs> <laughs> They're the same person to me. I'm going to get Christopher Plummer is uh, American-ish. Max von Sydow. Swedish. Actually, that was uh, one thing I noticed that I maybe didn't say with the girl with the dragon tattoo. They're remaking the only Swedish movie in the last 50 years. <laughs> Bring it to Hollywood. They're like, what? Uh, do we have any old actors that could play like a Swedish guy? Uh, Christopher Plummer. And then they're like, hey, uh, we got, I don't know, Tom Hanks. Uh, I don't know what his character is in Extremely yeah. Loud and Cloudy Close. Like, uh, this guy in New York, American old guy. Max von Sydow. <laughs> Max von Sydow was in the Seventh Seal. He was the knight that's playing chess with death. He's the original and only Swedish actor, <laughs> except for Stellan Skarsgård, who they got. But like, they bring that over, and there's the role of the old uncle in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Nowhere to be seen with Max von Sydow. Apparently, yeah. he was busy doing extremely loud and incredibly close. Now to clarify, Christopher Plummer is nominated for Beginners. Oh, right. Uh, not uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And I didn't. I did not see Beginners, but I, I've only heard like that everybody loves it. Out of these five people and these five movies that I don't feel like most people have seen, although Moneyball was a reasonable moneymaker, I don't think anybody can say Academy Award winner Jonah Hill with a straight face. Right. So. I think this one's going to go to Christopher Plummer because almost everyone I've heard talk to about Beginners likes Beginners. Also, he's old. <laughs> well, let's see, Max Monsanto has that as well. Yeah. Every time I've heard people talk about the beginners, I have been picturing Peter O'Toole <laughs> as Which the is father. Valid. Like, uh, apparently it's Christopher Plummer. So, I mean... It's six of one. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, normally interchangeable, but uh, Christopher Plummer, good job. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and uh, this kind of same time frame. Yeah. Acting a lot. So <laughs> lots of work for Christopher Plummer. Peter O'Toole, not so much. Yeah. Uh, getting on in years. Well, it's because Christopher Plummer is soon to be Academy Award winner. There you go. So, Best Supporting Actress. We've got Renice Bijot from the... I don't know how to speak French, okay? Who is the lead actress in The Artist. And she was fantastic in that. Like, yeah. But I think she's overshadowed by Jean Duhardine. And I, I don't feel like she has much of a shot because of that. I agree. I think it's a good outing. Her, people know her name now. Uh, but I don't She'll think She'll be in a Christopher Nolan movie in a couple exactly. years. <laughs> Jessica Chastain and Octavia Spencer were both nominated for The Help, so I feel like that's going to split the uh, mom Helpful. vote. Yeah. And Melissa McCarthy, the only thing from Bridesmaids that was nominated, totally should win. I agree, and I'm amazed to see her up there for a comedy and for, you know, a female role in a comedy. But I feel like that it's just so new that it might throw some traditionalist kind of Academy members. And then there, there's Janet McTeer from Albert Knobs, which I have, uh, haven't seen, um, and I don't think anyone else has either. So I am just going to imagine she's the red-headed love interest. I don't feel like either of the ladies from The Help have much of a chance because of the split vote. I don't feel like Bernice Bijot has... Because I, I, I feel like she's just sort of blown out of the water, unfortunately. I think it's going to go to Melissa McCarthy. I think she has the best uh, chance of it, and I think she deserves it. Cause I she, think, yeah, she... I cheer if she did but i also think that the chances of it going to her feel about as equal as maybe bernie bijou just because the movie and the main actor are going to get lauded so much some of that will cast off onto her and people will say oh yeah she was great too they're just checking out the artists as they go down exactly the they're looking for skimming it oh artist, artist. <laughs> um so she might get some overflow vote on that but i i think it's a coin toss between her and melissa mccarthy and i would be glad for either one yeah i certainly wouldn't think i don't think bijou doesn't deserve it. I just think Melissa McCarthy needs it more. And I feel like I'd like Bridesmaids to have something out of this. Now, the original screenplay, uh, you've got The Artist, Bridesmaids, Margin Call, Ma Midnight in Paris, and A Separation. Uh, Margin Call and A Separation, not enough people saw. I think yeah. you could just sort of like throw out I didn't see either of them. Um, although I hear they're both good. Uh, Midnight in Paris, Woody Allen gets nominated because you have to nominate Woody Allen. That's right. just no choice. But, uh, again, not his best movie, so... I think it comes down to The Artist and Bridesmaid, which is interesting because it's both comedies. Uh, but The Artist is just going to 
Have they had their nominated for ten Academy Awards? Like they just got like just so much momentum behind them. Yeah, they're gonna get at least uh, six of them. Michael, impronounceable last name, is totally going to win. Even though it'd be nice if Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo won, uh, but I think the artist just has so much going for it. I feel like adapted screenplay has a lot more of uh, competition to it. You got The Descendants, Hugo, Ides of March, Moneyball, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And none of them are the, like... Clear favorite. Clear, obvious, you gotta win one. Uh, Tinker Taylor was already adapted once, and I feel like even though it's a very different... Uh, it's very different from the BBC series, I think people are gonna be like, well, they, didn't, they just copy and pasted and, like, you know, cut some stuff out. And I, I feel like it's going to be unfairly uh, cut down. And Moneyball was written and rewritten so many different times. It's got screenplay by Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin and story by Stan Chervin. And that's almost about as many uh, writers as you're allowed to have credited. Right. Um, it's Steven's, Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, it's not like they were writing partners and were sitting next to each other writing. Like, they Did different they things. rewrote each other. And Stan Chervin, of course, wrote the script originally and was rewritten by these other two guys. It's, it would be a weird thing to give an award to Three this weird Frankenstein yeah. mashup of all these different movies. I mean, and everybody likes Aaron Sorkin's scripts, uh, but this didn't feel like an Like, there's no big speeches. Nobody was walking in circles and talking. Like, it, it just didn't feel like an Aaron Sorkin and, movie. And you missed those. Parties. I do. I, okay. This is what I like about Aaron Sorkin. I like his, I like his use of language. Uh-huh. Heights of March, it wasn't as interesting as I sort of expected it to be. It, it was everything was sort of obvious and maybe it's because the trailer sort of gave everything away but everything sort of went in the direction that I expected except for uh, and again spoiler alerts for everybody who ever plays on seeing this movie that came out months ago except for the fact that, that George Clooney's character did get a girl pregnant and uh, what are you <laughs> what? we gotta talk about it I haven't seen the movie so was, you should have seen it already alright the only thing that really took me by surprise about that movie was the big twist where George Clooney had, in fact, cheated on his wife and gotten a girl pregnant and then sort of uh, doesn't help her out other than to say, here's some money to go get an abortion. Like, his character suddenly becoming a callous, like, uncouth guy was sort of interesting. Um, but again, it was like... And, and the movie just seemed to be super simplistic in terms of politics is evil, you know, and everything is compromised, and there's nobody that's good. And I was like, eh, I don't know if that's really what I want to take breaking. away. Yeah. Uh, Hugo, uh, I mean, I loved Hugo, but I don't know if the story is necessarily the thing that I'm, yeah. you know, taking away from it. Which leaves The Descendants, uh, it's a movie that happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I had to pick one, I would still go with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, just because I don't know if enough people saw the BBC one, or to discredit it or discount it and intrigue is there the plot points and things of the spy genre are definitely hit and obviously that's from the book but they I think brought it to the film in a good way yeah so it's a little different the best actress was sort of an embarrassment of riches and uh, the best adapted screenplay was just it's sort of an embarrassment they just have to put in I, five movies that were adapted I don't know if it's an embarrassment <laughs> but uh, it is less clear cut it's like nothing to really hang your hat on best animated feature I'm upset that this is a category that exists because yeah. animated movies should be measured on their on their merits yeah it, it should be it, best it picture seems like, or not yeah like Up was nominated for best picture right. as well as best animated feature and deservedly so. Uh, this seems like the kids' table, which is unfortunate. Um, but it does mean that movies that you've never heard of, like A Cat in Paris and Chico and Rita, do get to be nominated. Yeah, it's a helping hand out to them, or shout out at least. Yeah, like those movies will definitely be seen more than they were. They, they, they never had a chance to fight against Kung Fu Panda, Puss in Boots, and Rango, the other nominees. Um, Kung, Fu, Kung Fu Panda 2, I suppose, if we want to draw a distinction. Uh, so it's cool that they're out there. I have no idea which one will win because I haven't seen the two foreign films, but I'm glad that they are uh, that they were able to put it out there and they actually managed to squeeze out Pixar because Pixar finally made a bad movie. Um, Cars 2 was awful. I, uh, have you seen it? I have not seen it. I'll take your word on that. Yeah. Uh, it, was, eventually. it was as if... Like, the f- whole point of the original Cars was to, like, you know, slow down, 
uh, appreciate life as it is and that sort of thing. And this movie is just like, we're driving all over the world and their car turns into an airplane and stuff's blowing up. And it's like, did you did you see the other movies? Small town America. Yeah. Heartland. No, we're racing in France and then we're in Japan. And then, like, it was... I've never seen a sequel so blatantly ignore the point of the of the original film. It, did you see Highlander too? <laughs> uh, and then there's uh, the other best uh, film subcategories that I've never seen any of these. Best foreign language film, bunch of movies I've never seen and can't pronounce. I'm going to pick a separation. <laughs> uh, best documentary feature, bunch of movies I've never heard of. Um, probably the uh, Paradise. I'm picking Pina. Veem Vienders. It's shot in 3D. It's a movie about the choreographer, what's her name, Pina, uh, and it's supposed to be actually a really excellent use of 3D for kind of the depth in that they show these people dancing, doing her choreography in just out in cities, on subways, in uh, different areas, and the 3D just gives you a depth into kind of behind them and their movement as opposed to Shrek the Third or whatever, where they're just throwing Spit stuff at the, yeah. Yeah, at the screen. So uh, Paradise Lost Three Purgatory was uh, produced by Peter Jackson and well, has has a has a real life story. Sort of uh, people are well, it's documentaries. So it's really story, but uh, uh, it's about some people that were wrongly convicted, um, and it it has a lot of drama that people were aware of outside of the documentary. So that sort of has a chance. But I have also heard good things about Peter. Best documentary short subject. Uh, go back to film school. Uh, so wow. the the live action short film, animated short film, all of them are like, uh, see, I this is this is a part where I'm also confused about the Academy's stance on what gets nominated and what doesn't. It's supposed to be about the theatrical experience. It's the whole uh, Oscars are supposed to honor mo- going to the movies as such. There are no theaters. short films that theater theaters don't play short films anymore of right. any type, except for the Toy Story short films that they play in front of, you know, cars, too. Like, that's it. Um, none of these movies... They, they do technically have to have been released in some theater at, like, a festival or something to right. be Right, and there is a festival circuit for all right. these things. But it's... It, that's not... It's not part of the American film experience anymore. Like, it was it's, at the time that the Oscars were conceived. Right, and it's not commercially viable or part of the, the broadcast. This, however, is part of the culture in that Aspiring filmmakers, people right out of film school, will make a short, the best one they can, take it to the festival circuit, start talking to people, get noticed, sign deals. If their short gets nominated or wins an Academy Award, that is just further bringing them up. This is the Bush Leagues, it's the minors, where you hone your talents, and then the big teams notice you and sign you to a contract. But the same could be said of commercials and music videos. Like yeah. A lot of directors come so from that, too. So we're missing best commercial <laughs> and best music video Categories, I'm saying, saying it has nothing to do with the American uh, theatrical experience. Best documentary and best foreign film, I, I feel like there's a place for those, and they are released to a, to a small degree, but they are still at least released in theaters. These movies aren't released in theaters. I think they should be cut. And it's to make room for stunt actor category. <laughs> That's it for uh, this episode where we've discussed the above the line and and film nominations. Next time we're going to talk about the below the line, the uh, craft uh, categories, as they're often called. And this is where we're going to get really pedantic and and really film schooly. So, (laughs) tune in! Oh boy, with the lead-in like that, everyone will.